here we are again. <laughs> here we are again, another episode of Diplomacy Games, and uh, we're in the same bar that we've been in before because it's nothing else is fucking open. Well, not at the moment. We're oh, I'm Mandy. You're Kana. I'm Kana, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're at the Prince George? No, Royal, Royal George. Royal still, George, yeah. Um, in Fortitude Valley, where we're having a quick pint before moving on to a, another location. And we are definitely going to move on to another location, Kana, because $14.70 for a pint is fucking rich. What are you drinking? Look, it is, it's actually a lovely pint. <laughs> okay, yeah. So maybe I'm paying for quality over quantity. Oh, sorry, I've got quantity too because it's a fucking pint. But no, it's a Little Creatures Indian Pale Ale. I'm pretty sure it was the last drink I had when we were here. Could well have been. Because I looked I'm at their a, wine menu, it was crap. I'm on a cider. The, um, what one's that one? Five Seeds? Five, five Seeds, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's not too bad. Not as good as the, um, Orchard Beef by, uh, James Squire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are we are here because we're waiting for other bars to open because we catch up at 4.30. And um, I selected a bar which is directly opposite here, which is meant to open at 5, according to Google. But when you walk past it, it says, open, 6 p.m. So I don't know how you tell Google people have got the information wrong online. Send a grumpy email to the uh, proprietor. Who? The, the people who wrote that business. Yeah. I was there at 5.30 because... Yeah. Of Google told me. Google, Google told me. Told. Have you thought about updating your Facebook page? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, last, on, last on the minds of a lot of people. May well be. Probably. Probably indeed. So, um, we've got an interview today. Yes. Um, a fellow... A fellow Australian. I've noticed actually we've, 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 with our interviews, this is the second Australian in a row. So, uh, you're right. But this one's slightly more known in, in diplomacy circles. Well, this, is def- this person is definitely well known in diplomacy circles. So, uh, Peter McNamara, the winner of the, uh, the DBN Invitational Tournament, uh, agreed to join us. Um, he I must admit, he kind of paid out. When I was kind of just conversing with him around the interview, he said, so is this what I need to do to actually get an interview? You know, I have to win a tournament. <laughs> because I've had, like, we've caught up with him, like, three, four three, times four, or whatever five, like yeah, that. Yeah, several times. Um, they haven't yet interviewed him. They haven't so. yet interviewed him. It's just like, well, I suppose it's always been difficult when coffee's always been around. It's like, oh, let's all go to coffee. And now... Now Peter's got some of his own. Um, uh, no, it's not lustre. Like not lustre. What's it called? A lure. Oh, I don't know. Still, well, very interesting things he had to say about the game in general. I felt um, how he views the game, especially the opening stuff. You know, around that area, like the mid game. Yep. And sort of how he, um, you know, how he looks to alliances. He's got different roles for different people. I thought, oh, gee, that's an interesting way of looking. Because I don't. I just kind of... Everyone's just... Oh, yeah, everyone's whatever. The concept about different goals for different players, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Different goals for different allies. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And we will will kind of get to that in a moment, listen, so so don't worry. Um, 
And um, I also liked, and listeners can listen to this when we talk about reputation of players. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's um, definitely no, it's definitely a good conversation. It, it was a very, um, uh, what's a courageous conversation on my part, but I got a bit of a bit of a ribbing from him at one stage around my reputation of so gameplay. Oh, we're about to start it, but see if you can pick the moment where Ambie's fishing for compliments. <laughs> I'm pulling all the things out of my diplomacy kit bag. How, how do I come back with this? Anyway, so anyway. without further ado, here is none other than Peter McNamara. Cheers. See you on the other side. See you on the other side. Bye. Peter McNamara, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. I, this is the, the most prestigious uh, diplomacy podcast there is. Yes, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of waiting for you know when it comes to being a prestigious podcast so much for you know some of someone like um, um, oh what are they called Spotify to start knocking on my door and start offering money like Megan and Harry but um, and and uh, and uh, Barack Obama but I don't know. Maybe we're too prestigious. It'll happen soon. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. That's right. Um, anyway, so so Peter, thanks very much for joining us. This actually this is, I think, technically the second time you, you've been on the show because we, you might remember when we were around that table um, down at the Melbourne Open um, after after the tournament, and we were having a bit of a chat. Um, in a hotel at the time, I think it was one of the few places we could find that had a, a bar, and um, and wasn't really, really, really loud. So you have been on the show before, but this is this is the first time we've kind of got you on for a bit of a blow by blow conversation, and um, and I think the timing is exceptional, uh, particularly after your um, win within the DBN Invitational. Congratulations on that! Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's an honour. So what does it take to be invited to attend a, a DBN Invitational anyway? So they had a, they had a qualification system um, where over basically the past year, um, all, of the, most, all of the virtual face-to-face events and then a few other events, like there was a, an actual face-to-face event from January that got grandfathered in and made a couple of other um, extended deadline events. But... You scored points based on how well you did, and I was lucky enough to do well in the two virtual events that were actually friendly to Australian times. Um, as in, I did much better in those events than the other events I played in, uh, and then that got me to qualify. So the twenty-eight people qualified. I think they actually. I think the, um, there were a few people who dropped out, and they went down to about thirty-five on the list of qualifiers. Okay, so there is actually quite a – there's a proper methodology around how this works to make sure that you've got good players who've consistently shown up and, 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 and turned on the goods, so to speak. It's it's not like a, you know, hey, let's invite, you know, such and such who's a, who's a friend or whatever like that to come along because they're, quote, unquote, a friend of the show. You, you need to deliver the goods, in other words. Yeah, you need to deliver the goods. Uh, the way it's structured means that there's more North American players than – there would be if it was sort of um, just because most of the tournaments are North American, so you get a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, you have to qualify. You can't get invited. It's not even like the tennis where you can in- get invited as a wild card unless someone cooked the numbers somewhere. I didn't check that. 
No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and you had to go through a number of rounds until you got to to the final board. Um, was there was it three rounds, four rounds? So there were four qualifying rounds, but you played in two of them, and they they spread it out so that over two weekends and different times of day, so that people could choose whatever was uh, best for them. Um, and most people got what they chose. One person didn't get played at a time they didn't want to, and that was Marcus Zilstra, and he soloed that board. So maybe it's good to not play when you want. Was that because of him being based in Europe and that it was obviously more, you know, uh, totally different time zone or whatever, or maybe he just had something else on, I don't know. But no, I, well. He, he, was, he was the last, he was the lowest seed. Or he, he didn't get his choice because he was low down in the seeds. So they gave the higher seeds priority for what rounds they played in. Okay, that makes sense. Kind of like how uh, in the tennis, you know, the higher seed you are, the better the court you get delivered, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the crowd, so to speak. So, yeah, something similar. Yeah. Um, and how did you find your first couple of games? Obviously, you did well enough to, um, to make it into the final board. Um, what, were your, what were your initial thoughts running into that final board? Uh, the, the first qualifying games are tough. Um, well, I, I qualified after the first round, so the second round I didn't have any pressure. Um, but you want to know my thoughts going into the final board? Yeah, I, I yeah. knew I was. Um, I knew I was in second, and I decided that I wanted to pick Italy. Um, I just needed to play a solid game and and make make sure I was in there in the mid game and strike when I thought the opportunity was there. I, and I and you covered this off most recently. Oh, sorry, you go. Sorry about that. No, no, you you keep going. <laughs> okay, um, and you covered this off in in the uh, diplomacy briefing article that just came out uh, yesterday, as of the time we were recording. Um, and to be honest, I've never really thought around Italy as being a favourable country to pull for the reasons that that you articulated. So uh, for those those out there who haven't yet. Um, been lucky, lucky you know, who was silly enough not to already um, you know, subscribe to the diplomacy briefing. Um, you kind of drew from inspiration Fabian Strauss's uh, performance with Italy. You want to um, tell us a little bit around what your thinking was for why Italy and, and where you wanted to take that? So one of the things that I really thought about for Italy, and, and I picked Italy in the qualifying round as well as the top board, um, is that you can't it's harder to get eliminated early or often if you think about Italy and you think about their relationship with their neighbors, most neighbors are more scared of being attacked by you as Italy than are interested in attacking you. And that means you usually get through to the mid game and in high level play. uh, It's, it's all about, it's more about the mid game. I think when you start playing diplomacy, you really want to get a really, really good opening and then, then run with that, and you really it really matters how well you do in the opening. But once you start to improve your, your gameplay a bit and understand how to read the board strategically, you really just need to get into the mid-game with a playable position, and then you can outplay your opponents from there. Okay. Um, and obviously being Italy, though, your, your, your avenues for expansion without kind of, you know, poking any of your uh, neighbours around you too much are pretty limited. You know, there's Tunis and 
you know, unless, of course, you can kind of somehow or other convince Turkey and Austria to let you into Greece. Um, but the, the rationale behind your, your um, reason for doing that was – and look, when I started thinking about this, this does make sense. You often see, you know, by 1902, 1903 – at least one player, if they're not out the door, they're pretty crippled because you've, you've got, you know, a multiple um, player offensive going against them. So Italy very rarely, do you see that? Like, it's not too often you kind of see Austria and France all of a sudden decide, hey, in, in, at that early stage of the game, let's let's take Italy down. Um, and, you know, similarly, you, unless, of course, you've got some crazy person playing Germany that decides they really want um, Vienna, or, you know, Venice for some reason. So it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, that kind of gets you through to at least the mid-game. Um, and from there, what's your, what's, your, what's your plan? What's your rationale for how to take things further from that point? Well, somehow every game is different. Um, so you saw that in, in my qualifying game, I had a strong Austria-Italy alliance. So that, that was actually the easier game um, for the purposes of getting beyond four centres because yep. I was able to pick up some Turkish centres ultimately, even though I lost Tunis. Um, uh, in the in the top board, I actually ended up in that typical uh, horrible traditional stuck Italian position where you just have the four centres after about 1905 or something. So that wasn't looking so good. But there's always going to be some option to either You've got really three main areas of growth, which are Austria, where there are a lot of centers, and you just have to be careful that you can actually hold them. Turkey, which has this long-term strategic growth. And then France, where you can get uh, Portugal, Marseille, and Spain if, you, if the opportunity arises to go west. And if you get them and still hold on in the east, then you can um, you're really set up for a good game. I think once you get to about nine or ten is Italy, um, you're you're really really good like stronger than most other countries around nine or ten is, is that in your mind geographically speaking because well austria can't really make fleets if you're at that sort of level turkey's going to be sort of crippled anyway so you know russia being fleet locked to the black sea and you know france probably engaged in the north um is that just a quirk of the board, geographically speaking, Peter, or is there something more to it? I think there are some. There are always geographic things to the board. There's also, um, I think, a lot of opponents still just haven't seen as many strong Italian players. You ever seen the strong Turkish position and the strong French position and knows how to defend against it, whereas the Italian ones are more varied and harder to defend against. Hmm. Right. So you ended up kind of turning on Austria uh, a little bit later in the game. How did you – what went through your mind in, in your rationale for when was going to be the time that to um, to turn on your ally? Is this in the, the qualifying game I think you're talking oh, about? Oh, no, actually, sorry, I've jumped ahead. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Peter. So, oh, in general. Just yeah, in general. In general, yes. That's, well, yes, correct. Yeah. Um, the same principles apply to France as well. I mean – when you when you stab your ally in general, um, it's it's difficult because um, if you if you stab too early, you risk everyone uh, getting up against you and um, then beating you back. So, uh, probably most of us stab more than we should. Uh, maybe that's true of me. 
Um, but you really need to make, you want it to be a stab which is decisive in some way. Uh, you want to be capturing some key strategic provinces, uh, trying to make sure there's no easy retaliation. And also you really want to make sure that, um, I mean, if you're stabbing for a solo, then it's just going to become tactics after that. Um, but if you're sort of stabbing in an earlier position, you want to make sure that you have another ally somewhere on the board who's going to work with you. And you talked a little bit before around reading the board. Um, how do you, and obviously that that's that's compared to what people are actually telling you at the time. Um, how did you? How did you approach that for 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 that? Let's let's make it clear. We're now onto that final game discussion here. How did you approach that when it versus what people were telling you at the time? And, and um, how did you? What were your thoughts around that? Um, and you read the board to see what what people are going to do. And if if like Turkey brings three fleets against you as Italy, then it doesn't matter what you what they're saying. Really, um, they're attacking you. Um. I think on a on a on that board when it, when it's on a top board, people can more see what all the moves mean <clears throat> rather than um, other games where like you can can try and build a build a fleet in as as Russia in the north and and not somehow convince England that they're not you're not actually attacking them. Um, yeah, I don't really have a great. Thing to say a lot of the reading the board comes from experience and then you you really have to just sort of when someone when someone tells you something you have to think does that make sense would i would i think that's a good idea if i was playing that country trying to put yourselves in their shoes is always a good idea great advice you um you said a lot of that reading the board comes from experience how long have you been playing for now um i first played like back when I was in high school. So that was just over 20 years ago now. Um, so I've been playing, I first played online when I was in university and I played um, a face-to-face tournament from 2005. <clears throat> and I've been going to about two or three face-to-face tournaments since then each year, probably on average. I haven't counted. Yeah, I, I think you're you're quite a prolific uh, attendee of that. Even obviously, when you think about pre-COVID with with um, overseas tournaments and so forth, um, how how do you how do you find tournaments extend you as a player? I I think you you want to like tournaments give you a, a more competitive environment, and you get to play against the best players. And and if you don't challenge yourself by playing against other good players, then you will not improve. And they're a great place to meet other people who have common interests with you and you get great friendships that way. Um, I encourage all your viewers to come and uh, join a tournament when we actually get another one in. And hopefully they come to the Cane Tone Classic whenever that's going to happen in Brisbane. <laughs> well, as, as, uh, as I've mentioned to you, um, oh boy, actually we said, we said on our most recent episode we were, we're not, we've made a decision not to go down to, to Poppycon as much as we would like to. <laughs> Seeing we've currently got a, an, another minor outbreak kind of occurring here in Brisbane, surprise, surprise, um, quite fortuitous there. Um, but we kind of digress. We digress. So, 
when it came to, to obviously you said, um, you know, when it, you, you look at the way that other people are playing, you're kind of getting some great experience, you're getting some great learnings. Um, what, what have you kind of learnt in recent games uh, and recent tournaments particularly that you've, you've taken and, and, um, and brought to your own gameplay in, um, recently? What have I learnt recently? I'm tempted yeah, to yeah. think about so, some, uh, some games that we've played together. Um, Sorry, say again? Uh, I'm tempted to think about some games we've played together, but I, I shouldn't. Uh. <laughs> well, probably the ones that I kind of recall was um, you always as England um, teaming up with Mel Call and smashing the hell out of me. Uh. I'm sure that that would never happen. <laughs> no, 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 never. Um, but but you are you are quite a uh, a wily player in the sense that now I'll, I'll I'll go back to that game you were England and think you were down to one or two supply centres, and then you end up coming back to the to such a powerful position that you were um, pretty much had forced the the remaining players having to come together as a a stop Peter alliance. Part of that had a lot to do with that cadence of of picking things up. Um, you know, SCs and so forth along the way. And I, and I noticed in that article um, that you wrote for Diplomacy Briefing, you, you, you quoted Goffey around, um, you know, how Italy often um, creates the tempo for the game. And clearly, again, looking at the way that you played that, um, that um, DBN Invitational, that final game, that was very much the case. Um, and to be honest, I think you did exactly the same thing in that game previously when we were playing, when you were playing as England. You, you do have a, a bit of a tendency I, I've seen in, in a lot of, of of your games, Peter, particularly looking at online when they've been covered by DBN, that you, you, you kind of take it quite easy at the start and then you start building this momentum. You know, it's like pick up a, a supply centre here and then two supply centres there and then another supply centre here. And before long, you know, you are in that, that box seat of being, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 supply centres and everyone's all of a sudden went, where in the world did Peter McNamara come from? Um, where did you get that from? Because you know, that seems to be pretty common in, in your gameplay, or am I just over-reading the situation? Maybe you're talking about my ideal game. Um, that doesn't always happen. You have, to, you have to fight. You have to build alliances, especially early in the game. And things change also depending on um, how the other players perceive you. So if, if And it depends, because you have a reputation once you start playing in the community for a while, and then you have different, different people react like this person's really, really strong, so let's kill him. Things like that. You have to. So once you get a reputation like that, you have to work, work, work around how to deal with that, which means probably not going too strong, too big, too early. The most important thing is to get alliances early and then get into good position and then cash in later on. Um, it's, it's a lot of experience, a lot of intuition. Um, a lot of my strategic moves, I think, are fairly much based on in, intuition rather than computation uh i've heard that that top chess players do the same sort of thing a lot of it is intuitive even though of course there they have to really calculate um so sometimes this is i guess a very unconscious process which makes it hard to articulate uh what's going on it's funny that you say that because obviously you're a mathematician by background um 
So you, you're, you're kind of very much left brain, right brain, what you're talking about there. You know, I would expect that you'd be looking more at the tactics and the calculations and all those type of things. But what you're talking about is it comes down to that whole intuition relationship side of things, uh, which is intriguing, you know what I mean? Because I would have thought the other way, but you, you are 100% correct. Um, do, do you feel that that reputation you try to develop, um, you've been successful with? I don't know if I've really tried to develop a, a particular reputation. Um, you just get one at some point. You, you do want to make sure that you don't get a reputation as being too stabby. Uh, but then um, if I think if you do have that reputation, it probably means you are too stabby and you need to do something about it. As, as a side issue, uh, you've played against both myself and Kaner a, a few times now. What do, what do you think, uh, what's our reputations? Uh, one of you has a reputation now of opening to Silesia, which I think is a bad reputation to have and, and shouldn't be done. I, th- I think you're right. I think that guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Who would come up with such an idea? Oh, I, I don't really know because it doesn't um, – it hasn't really come up much in terms of other people's play. Um, I, what, what, what about the other player? What's his reputation like? The other player? Yes. So presumably you're talking about my reputation. And when you've played against oh. Kana, what do you think his reputation is? So so I think we definitely have a reputation that Kana knows what he's doing. Um, um, let, uh, he's he's going to be dangerous. Um, maybe his face-to-face play is not quite as dangerous as it, he thinks it could be. Yeah, maybe he's not a... Not ruthless enough. Yeah, Andy <laughs> has a bit of a reputation sometimes as doing some strange things. Um, if you give him a country where he knows what to do strategically, he's more dangerous than if you put him in the middle of the board, I think, right now. I, I think Andy's better at the uh, edge powers. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm shit at centre powers. You're 100% correct. I, I need to get some lessons from you, Peter. Um, I think um, Kane's reputation also is that he constantly misorders when he's been having too many ciders. But I, I did notice that as well. Um, <laughs> but Kane also is a very trusting person, and he makes it easy to uh, believe him, which is which is good for him. So he, he makes you want to work with him all the time. But uh, don't know when to, you know. Use those sharpened daggers that I've got. I'm too caring, I think, a bit too far there. Hey, Peter. Yeah. You've been you, so this this year gone by. You've um, things have pretty much gone to the virtual world um, for the diplomacy space. How do you find operating in that in that environment with the um, the virtual format as opposed to? Well, it's a kind of like that meeting between. I guess um, you know that online format which, you know, love it or hate it, it's out there. And then there's that face-to-face format and the, the virtual world kind of that meets between how you fight that um, format. Obviously, you do well with it. I, I mean, it's very much like face-to-face. In term, It plays much more like face-to-face than any online play because you're, you're there, you're speaking to each other with, with voice, you're just not seeing each other and picking up on any body language. Um, you're also not – I mean, you're also just – putting moves in on the computer, but that's not much different. Um, 
because everything is um is fast paced this is what if you're if you watch the uh the dbni promotional video marcus silstra had this line which is face to face is so intense and it's very right and that that's the way this the style of the play of the play um, i think it's really good it's brought in members of the community that we haven't had before um, we've really grown the community this year and i really hope that it continues and goes from strength to strength because i think we've somehow managed to create something really nice here out of this uh, pandemic and it's really good and it's growing the community where we were in danger of becoming very stagnant yep no great point um so fast forward like two three years peter what do you reckon the tournament scene is going to be like I don't, I don't know. I can't predict the future. Um, hopefully we're back to uh, big face-to-face tournaments again or um, maybe small face-to-face tournaments here in Australia. Um, the online, hopefully this virtual face-to-face community, I think this is going to keep going. Um, one thing that I was sort of thinking about myself, I don't know if anyone else has ever thought about this, is that you have these programs like AlphaGo or just your any chess engine on your phone that will play better than any grandmaster in these other games and i wonder if uh someone's going to develop something like that for diplomacy which will at least tell you like here are the tactics you should do maybe even here's who you should ally with what sort of deals you should try and create and and whether that will make it not be possible to have a uh an online tournament with uh which is prestigious just because people could just look up moves on their phone. I don't know if that's in our future, but it might it might come up. Who knows? It's possible, but I think that would ruin the game in a, for a lot of people because all you're ending up doing is just you know, supplementing a computational um analysis down to okay that's what i'm going to do rather than actually the whole experience and the the thrill of the game when you're actually playing it um and you're at you know when you've done when you've pulled off a successful stab you know the fact that you've been building rapport with this person for goodness knows how long and then you've kind of got it to happen i think if you just made it all based on that you know deep thinking deep brain type of stuff it would be it it would lose a lot of its fun I think it would lose a lot of the fun. I think what I'm maybe trying to say is I wonder if for the purposes of integrity of tournaments um, so that people don't cheat, you have to think about these sorts of issues one day. Um, yeah. I think for any of us who who, uh, who love the game, we'll just, we won't want to be doing that sort of thing. But I wonder if it also sort of just from an intellectual point of view, I wonder if that's possible. Do, do, do you find... We talked about uh, just before. I talked about stabbing and stuff like that. Do you find that a well calculated stab, when you pull it off, feels just as good in a virtual tournament as a face to face one? I think so. I don't know if I, I mean I never stab anyone, and and I never um, I never feel good about it or whatever, which is what we all say. Um, I don't. I think it it feels pretty similar. Okay. Yeah, so, there are more similarities in, in virtual and face-to-face and face-to-face than um, maybe you would expect. Okay. The main difference is that you don't really get to socialise outside of the game. 
like you know you have a beer with everyone like afterwards which is really great thing to do normally when you play and here you just sort of like sit around at the computer awkwardly in your chat room for a few minutes and then say goodbye yeah that's a good point that's a, that's definitely something i think that uh, misses some of the magic of a of a normal face-to-face tournament huh. so you don't like stabbing you don't and you don't stab too often is that what you're saying I, I've never stabbed except for the stabs that you saw on the DBN. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. What were those? What were those stabs we saw then? <laughs> uh, you were invited we, into was, another player supply centres by them. They, they all invited me in. Yeah, um, I, I swear that, that's my defence. Uh, maybe I, maybe the connection was bad, and I just made up what I was trying to hear, what I wanted to hear. I'm sure that was the case. Um, you, you talked a little bit earlier, Peter, about allies. Um, in in that um, that DBN invitational in in the final game, what were you what were you looking for in an ally um, to kind of get you through both in the short term, but also potentially a long term ally? Well, I struggled to find allies in that game. Um, I had uh, a long standing non aggression pact with France, which was very useful. Um, which was also partly, I guess, just based on our mutual interests as to where the game was going. Um, I really wanted to get an ally. I really wanted to ally with Austria early, but she didn't want to ally with me to take out Turkey. So then I'm just like trying to hang around and survive. And eventually I need an ally to grow, which I eventually found in Nicola. And then another ally to get big, which I found in uh, Matt in Russia. Uh, but I really just want someone who I can, who I believe I can work with well, you know, who sees the board, who who we we sort of need to have some sort of rapport and a common a common goal. A common goal is very important. So, what was your common goal with your long term ally in this game? So, um, with my longest alliance, probably in that. I mean, my, my goal my goal with my non-aggression pack with France was just to never get stuck in an attack in the Mediterranean because um, I didn't think I was ever really going to win that in any substantial way. And then my, my goal with Russia was to just try and take out Austria and Turkey in one order. It didn't really matter in which order to me. Um, eventually, the Austria-Turkey alliance cracked, which enabled us to do that. But there was some talk about probably doing that from the start of the game. And that's just opening up avenues for growth uh, and then hopefully opening up the stab for the win at the very end, which I was fortunate enough to find and not get uh, beaten back by because they always had a chance to beat me back, but they couldn't uh, work it out amongst themselves. Okay. Um, it's really interesting that you talked about you had these different goals for different types of allies or vice versa. Um, I tend to feel that probably newer players to the game don't have that um, granularity of different goals for different Allies, it's more potentially. Look, I'm just looking for someone to work with. Someone's just not going to not going to attack me or whatever like that. Um, when do you well, feel? Sometimes I do that too. Okay, <laughs> you're just looking. Is that because you, like you find an ally who they're not going to attack me and then go and get big with that ally? 
but but you usually would need if you really want to do well you want to have good relationships with more than one player on the board so do you kind of go in with a bit of a game plan for look i need a ally to do this like an ally to grow i need an ally to you know i can't remember all the things now but we can probably fast so rewind and listen to them all but do, do you go in ideally look seeking that or it's a more uh, organic thing that kind of evolves over time I like to think it's organic, but I guess for most players, you have about three neighbors and you probably want to have a strong alliance with one of them, attack one of them and have some neutrality pact with the other one, at least early on. That's sort of usually what plan A is in a game, in the opening. Okay. Um, The DBN Invitational, there was actually no cap at the for the for the phase limit was it you know basically it was a the game would go on until the game finished that's that's right that yeah that's true that was interesting um so in the in the qualifying rounds um some of the games i think actually drew because there was another game about to start um oh wow but but the games that didn't have another game after that they went on forever so like the fastest one of those was um finished in 1912 and that only finished because someone was rude enough to take 18 centers um, <laughs> and and the other th- the other qualifying games like they were drawing in spring 1918 and the top board drew in spring 1918 as well uh, so long and I think how, that's how long happened. did the game go for then for you I think maybe nine hours or something they dropped the the deadline's down to 10 minutes after about 19.10. Okay. So they were 15 minutes before that, and then they went down to 10 minutes. That's a, a big commitment. Um, and, and obviously most players are going to be based in, in North America as opposed to yourself all the way over here in Australia. Um, when did the game start local time for you? So... My qualifying game started at like 10 a.m. local time, I think, and the top board started at 7 a.m. local. Ah. So that was quite a good time for me. Yes, actually, that's that's very advantageous because what would it have been in the U.S.? It would have been what starting at what 12 o'clock or something like that, or I don't remember. Oh, you can work it out. It depends whereabouts in the U.S. you yeah, are. Yeah, correct. Yeah, East Coast Pacific, etc. But like it was that. all in the day. Um, the most interesting one was that. Uh, they had to actually work out when to uh, start the top board because there were people in many different time zones on it. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you are right because it would have been people there from Europe as well as America as well as yeah. yourself in the Pacific. Well, you were lucky, so you probably would have gone into the game, you know, wake up, wake up in the morning, you know, have a nice big cup of coffee and just, you know, just jump right in while some people probably be getting towards the, you know, the end of their day and pretty sure by after, you know, nine hours plus of playing, um, many players would have been starting to go, yeah, okay, let's just draw and get this over because, yeah, you know. I think that there's a bit of tiredness in that as well. Actually, that's, that's one thing that was remarked, um, I think, there was one turn late in the on the top board where France and Germany suddenly bounced in Burgundy, and I had no idea or any inclination that this was going to happen. And then Andre and Germany just exclaimed after that, "Can we draw already?" And that was sort of when I felt I had it. 
I've look. I've personally played a couple of tournament games which were not advantageous at all to uh, to those of us in the in um, in the Asia Pacific region, and, and I were, I started making mistakes. I may have had a couple of drinks at the time as well, but um, it, I think I'm putting it down to being kind of just so tired. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's probably the one thing that you don't get, I guess, in a face-to-face game because everybody's all working off the same time zone, so um, that can be a bit of a leveller. Um, so it probably would have helped you a little bit, but not massively. Yeah, it may have helped me. I don't really know. But then again, um, I'll just think back to my other top boards that I played you know, during this season, um, and I they started at 5am and 4am, so I think I'm local time for me so i'm i'm very happy to take one at 7 a.m for once yeah absolutely even though seven is usually too early (laughs) so did you get a a a tournament trophy or anything like that um i have no idea um i'll have to like ask them and they probably won't send it because international shipping is too high so i'll have to pick it up next time there's a world (laughs) dipcon it's waiting for you (laughs) yeah Ah, excellent, excellent. So, um, so let's let's fast forward a little bit, and it's um, you know March twenty twenty two, and the next DBN Invitational's on, and you've been lucky enough to kind of get on the top board again. You reckon you're going to pull Italy one more time, or is there another another country you'd like to um, start teasing out a new strategy for in the future? Oh, I, I don't know. Um... I mean, I don't even know what the qualification process is for the DVNI. Hopefully, they'll uh, just give me an automatic qualification. I don't have to play for a year. <laughs> well, okay, well, so let, let, let's let's assume that they do that. You but, know, that's part of the gig, isn't it? But um, so, would you would you always yeah. gravitate back to uh, Italy again, or you'd be? I don't, I don't know. France is usually the common first choice on a top board, um, and but I might try it again. I'll have to think about it. I might not get the choice. If I qualify seventh, then I'm probably playing Turkey. Mm. Okay. Cool. So um, I don't have too much more to ask right at the moment, Peter. What about yourself, Kana? Surely you've got some more things there. Oh, look, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, the... What's your thinking process for openings, Peter? Like in the, in the first couple of rounds of the seasons, uh, what what's going through your head apart from you know like working out who your allies are? Do you have like a flowchart of optimal moves per country, or how does your thinking process go around with that sort of stuff? I don't I don't use flowcharts. Um, I do have I do sort of I think probably by now know the set of spring 1901 moves I'm likely to consider for each country. Um, there's a couple of options for each country. Open to Cilicia? None of them ever go to Cilicia. <laughs> Damn. Do you feel there's um, there's scope for you know innovation when it comes to opening still in diplomacy or did we sort of – are we kind of at that stage – We've played around with it for long enough now. There is still innovation. Um, Yeah. Because 
and, and things also, some openings go in and out of fashion as well. Uh, one sort of piece of innovation that you may have seen was uh, George Zhang opening to Wales as London and getting France to convoy him into Belgium as an interesting way to set up an English-French alliance. And that was something I'd never seen actually done before. But we saw that during the uh, last season's virtual league. Uh, that's probably always going to be a minor opening, but you can definitely find innovations, I think, still in the opening. It's not completely played out. Uh, the other thing that I just mentioned that I say, try and do when in the opening is also try and sniff out whatever alliances are happening on the other side of the board, because that's important to know about and react to where possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of out for questions. Peter, do you have any questions for us? Um, when are you guys having a game again? <laughs> Whenever we can. <laughs> we tried to, we've tried a couple of times to kind of get a face-to-face -face game going and we've just always fell short. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to try and find an excuse to come up to Brisbane again soon and... Uh and make sure you set one up for me. Well, funnily, funnily enough, we actually had one player who was based in Adelaide who said, oh, I'm going to be up in Brisbane, et cetera, like that. Uh, let's, let's, let's play a game. So we started organising everyone. I think we had the numbers to do that. And then, of course, it happened to have been around the time that we had that lockdown or whatever. Actually, not the lockdown. It was just post-lockdown in January. And um, oh, as a result like of that... something. Yeah, they kind of went, oh, well, I'm not going to, to Queensland anymore now. <laughs> So we almost got there. Almost got there. Um, we should take, but, uh, we should actually, take the government up on um, up on the offer and fly down to Launceston and a whole heap of people on cheap flights and um, may have a gathering down there. Who says it has to be in Brisbane? It's, it's not I for one would like to escape the hot weather. <laughs> so you can kind of sit around your, your, your house in, in a jumper like Peter McMurra when it's kind of, you know, stinking bloody hot here in Queensland. Yeah, exactly. Play diplomacy. Mm, it's a good go. indoor game go. with fire. Actually, one one other question, Peter, is like you, you mentioned, I think off tape um, that you, you know you've, you've lived previously up here in Brisbane. You, you kind of came originally from WA. Um, how do you see the different uh, diplomacy scenes uh, around Australia? Um, well, so Australia doesn't really have different diplomacy scenes necessarily at least now because um, I there's always been a few players in Melbourne um, I've never known many players in Perth although I've managed to meet a couple uh, I meet I met one online uh, a couple of months ago but the Australian hobby is sort of small enough and interconnected enough that I don't think there's much of a difference in the scenes at least in during the last 10 years or so, however many years since i've been been in australia i was been living overseas for a bit uh for most of maybe half of my diplomacy career i was living overseas which mean, meant i was not quite so connected with the uh australian hobby i got to uh see a few differences between uh north american and european styles of play and the way their hobbies are structured, which is probably a well-hashed and well-trodden thing to talk about with lots of stereotypes that may or may not be true. 
Um, so in, in two weeks' time, there's obviously the, the, the Poppycon tournament down in Melbourne that we've talked about just, just moments ago, and we said we're not going. I think you're not able to make it as well. Um, is there, beyond like um, some of those tournaments that, that Kana and I have, have attended, Poppycon and Melbourne Open and so forth, is there actually like a face-to-face community that gets together in Melbourne beyond just these these tournaments? We haven't been getting together uh, regularly, but we like, like it's sort of very much an ad hoc once every blue moon thing. Um, but I'd like to change that and get get more gatherings uh, once now that um, we're allowed to meet people again. I feel like we're still just coming out of that brutal form of lockdown here. Mm. Okay, so so Poppycon will be the first face to face tournament slash game slash whatever um, that that anybody really kind of knows of post COVID. You know they held a European Championships last year in the middle of the year. Did they? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes. Face to face. They had one board of people showed up. It was, oh, it was wow. interesting. Good time to become a European champion. You know, you only had to play against six other players. Yeah, that was. I, I don't. Know, I don't know much about it, but that must have been interesting. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, well, hopefully, you know, as as we said before, we'll start getting on top of this uh, when it comes to the vaccine and international borders will start opening up. Do you see yourself going to um, such as the WDC again in the next year or so, whether it's, you know, the one in America later this year or, or more likely the Thailand one in um, 2022? I don't know if anything's been officially announced, but I get the impression that the one in America later this year will not be happening as a World Dipcon later this year, and it's going to be a year later than that. Um, so and I'd like gonna, to go to Is that. it going to push the Thai, Thai version back another year? Which would then push this Thai one back another year as well, I believe. Oh, okay. That's what I'm expecting to happen. Um, I would like to go to that, the, the one in Carnage. <clears throat> Carnage sort of has a lot of memories for me. Um, I would get in... Alex Aman's car and we would drive up there for a few hours because I lived in Boston and I, I do well in that tournament. It was my one of my local tournaments when I lived over in the States. I, I'd like to go back. Sounds fun. Especially if you don't have to worry about COVID. <laughs> well, hopefully. Wow. I, should, I should be able to get an injection by, uh, by, December, by November 2022. Not sure about by November this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as long as the virus doesn't mutate too much, I suppose. It, it's awesome. endemic, it seems. We'll I just have to live with it. Yeah, yeah. Probably right, probably right. Okay, Peter, uh, we might kind of uh, wrap all that up. Um, it's been great having you on the show again. Um, hopefully it won't take uh, this long for us to have you back on a third time. I'll just have to win DBNI again, right? Probably. <laughs> or something something else like that. But um, maybe 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 a new strategy. Maybe kind of, you know, work something else out. Maybe do that Silesian opening and make it we actually work. I reckon if you did that, I reckon you'd definitely be back on the show in no time. 
Okay, uh, I've got I've got a couple of other opening ideas, but I want to keep them up my sleeve. <laughs> Open to pressure and Silesia. No one ever sees it coming. okay i think on that note we'll uh, wrap it up peter thank you so much for your time and uh, congratulations again yeah thank you for having me and we're back cheers 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 so apparently peter doesn't like my idea of opening to silesia i don't think anyone does you tried to sell it to me and I didn't buy it. Look, it is, I reckon it is a very underrated approach, but it really works wonders when um, you've also got... <laughs> what? You know, Austria, <laughs> England and Turkey agreeing to attack Russia at the same time. It's a gang up on Russia, is what you're saying. Let's go four ways on Russia. What's up with that? nothing wrong with it but if someone comes to me and says you know let's go four ways on Russia I think oh great what are you going to do Germany I'll go on Russia yeah but I wouldn't believe you I wouldn't believe that you'd open to Prussia and to Silesia well yeah but actually you would believe it from me because I've done it so many times (laughs) in an effort to make it stick but you know okay Austria's going to move to Galicia anyway I mean, that's almost a given. Yeah, so what it, what it works well, out is... So there's a bounce. You've got to move two into... Yeah, and that's why you get Turkey to attack, you know, Black Sea and Armenia. Well, you're just going to bounce. So ideally you'd want... Yeah, ideally you want Russia, uh, Turkey to move to Armenia and Bulgaria. Well, it's obviously going to move to Bulgaria, um, but to Armenia for sure. But what's England doing? Well, look, the times that this has worked... And I have done this, actually was down at Poppycon, it was one of those games, where Austria was on board, Turkey was on board, me as Germany was on board, it was England that was meh, with... <laughs> I don't know what went wrong there, but anyway. Um, it was England who wasn't on board, who I think may have actually been Peter McNamara in that game. Um, maybe, maybe not. It was, maybe. I don't know, I can't remember. Well, it's probably not appealing to England because they've got to deal with the France. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're just giving plenty of space for France to grow and expand by doing that. So you're saying that my uh, Silesia opening days may be over because they never really work from the start? I'm saying you're better off convincing Austria and Turkey to attack Russia and maybe convince France to attack England potentially. I mean, does England need to be in it? Or, you know, convince England to attack France? Yeah. I don't know. I'll, um, I'll learn, I'll, I'll get better. But uh, what else did you get out of this interview, Kana? Oh, like I was saying, pre-interview, I really, you know, that, there's, there's still plenty of room for, you know, experimentations and openings apart from mm. the Silesia one but that convoy from Wales into Belgium sounded really like a fun one to yeah. Play, yeah. as a start and just how you know like a top quality player looks at you know, essentially having different goals for different allies as a way of looking at the board in a way that 
kind of makes a lot of sense when you actually break it down. Yep. It's not something I've ever really analysed in myself, is having goals for other people and players. Yep. Um, so, I mean, context, yeah. and look, this wasn't, in, um, this wasn't mentioned specifically by Peter, except for the fact that different goals for different players. But I had, um, in the most recent uh, Brother Board, the most recent Brother Blog, Brother Board Blog, no, podcast. And he was talking about, you know, that interrelationship with, with different players around the board, which is very similar to what you're saying there. But I'll use the example of England, where he was talking about, look, as England, who you need to be working with from the start is like Austria or Turkey because they're your long-term natural allies. You know what I mean? Even though normally most players wouldn't bother doing that because they're on the other side of the board. But at some stage, they're going to be your potential future neighbour. Yeah, well, you're right, aren't you? Unless you unless you really enjoy making a solid relation, a solid alliance with someone and going with that to the end. Yep. Early. Um, but I guess it comes down to the type of player you are as well, aren't you? It doesn't. It's, yep. I, I, I definitely see the logic in talking to everyone on the board. You'd be silly not to. Well, the only time that um, you don't do it is maybe if you were in deep conversations with you know, a couple of other players to come up with a very complicated opening. Like, you know, attacking brush wall. <laughs> Which hasn't really bought you great dividends. It's, it's, it's a bit no, I can't. Um, I'll, I'll drop that. I'll shut up. I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Italy's got potential for some interesting openings that haven't really been examined. Yeah. Well, especially, you know, the approach that he adopted to win the tournament anyway. That whole idea of, you know, um, choosing Italy because you're unlikely to be the guy that gets killed first, so it keeps you in the game longer. Yeah. And hopefully by then, your neighbours are already started, like, hopefully France is getting attacked by England or Germany, and Austria is either getting attacked by Russia or Turkey. So if you kind of be patient... Which is so hard as a diplomacy player, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> you see those supply centres just sitting there, and you just want them, don't you, you dock grabber? Well, I'm, I'm channelling my inner Calhammer. Um, you know, it, it'd be a little bit more ruthless in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, having said that with Italy, I'm... I'm I think it's more public press, or like full press, where they do generally stick around for longer. Um, a recent gunboat game I played, Italy was the first country eliminated, for instance. Right. Um, not by yours truly, but <laughs> uh, still. Oh, well. It um, definitely makes sense from a, from a tournament point perspective to, to be in it for longer. It doesn't yep. give you more opportunities to... Do the dastardly deed. Nothing wrong with doing the dastardly deed. I've had a lot of people do it to me lately in, in my games. <laughs> Speaking of which, you said your uh, team game you got a uh, 
Uh, yes. Horrendous stabbing. Yes, so um, it's interesting when you kind of how you view a game when you're on top of the world, you're making some gains, no one's attacking you, you think, I think I've nailed, I've, I've worked out the secret to diplomacy. <laughs> I'm going to bloody trademark this, you know what I mean? And that was the case. So this is a, um, we talked about it before, it's a team game. And um, so we, then we have, it's Europe on the Europa Renovatio map, so it's like 36 players, and there's um, all these teams of four. Uh-huh. And um, I think I've mentioned before, maybe, maybe not one of my team members is dead. Um, but anyway, long story short, I'm playing Austria. That's publicly known. Yes. Um, and I was doing pretty well, you know what I mean? I, I'd been allying with pretty much all of my neighbours, which gets you to that patience point, isn't it? You know what I mean? If I was patient and just sat it out, we may not be having this conversation in the way we're having this conversation. Because, oh. and I have spoken about this before, I think it was the last episode, where I made the call to attack Bohemia, uh-huh. uh, mainly because I'd actually encouraged um, Saxony to attack Bohemia the previous turn. And I thought, yes, let, let Saxony take the heat so that Bohemia will move some units away, and that's what happened and I thought great put in the knife grab you know unfortunately the way the board was configured my stab didn't allow me to grab any SCs at the time because there was all these non-SC territories between me and his SCs but so clearly it was attacking okay so you, you would know if you're Bohemia that this is not like an accidental misorder one misorder this is like five misorders at once in a cohesive, cohesive fashion. And then what? You attack. And at the same time, exactly the same time I put in those orders, thanks to the wonderful mechanics of diplomacy, Switzerland attacked me from the west. Ah. Okay? So, not good, right? And <laughs> I was able to, you know, like a, like a boxer with one arm behind my, my back because like most of my units were now up in Bohemia. I tried to pivot around and slow the stem of leaking supply centres over to um, Switzerland, right? Yep. And I was kind of... I was lucky enough that I was able to kind of just grab, you know, the odd supply centre off Bohemia, and then I had some... um, um, an expeditionary force that actually went all the way to Africa and got, like, an Egyptian supply (laughs) centre... It did too. So I was kind of um, able to, to kind of stem the flow a little bit. And then, out of nowhere, Milan attacks from the southwest. Oh, is that where the, that's, that's the hurdy stab, is it? Yes. But in the most recent turn, Lithuania from the east has started attacking as well. Now, he started ploughing uh, right into Naples, who I have been allied with. Yes. And it won't be long as a result of that that I'm going to be having... Uh, <laughs> and, of course, I'm also now stuck in a fight down against Tunisia <laughs> in Africa. So, <laughs> so I'm fighting Bohemia, Switzerland, Milan, 
Tunisia and probably very soon Lithuania. Yeah. I think I should have just sat on the fence and, you know, showed a little bit of patience. Listen to, you know, Axel Rose. Yeah, things aren't looking good. Things aren't looking good. Um. <laughs> so, um, I will say one thing that was interesting is that both Milan, both Milan and uh, Lithuania had been, I'd consider to be, um, you know, if not allies, friendly nations, okay? And um, the, the, the stab from Milan happened to occur immediately after a global clarification of the rule of the team-based game. Which was? So I think, basically, there was a query around the draw approach, okay? So... Um, there was, I think, an impression from some players and some teams that we could have a multiple team draw. So you might be on team A, I'm on team B. We're getting along well. We say, let's go all the way. We draw between our two teams. Happy days. But then it was pointed out that one of the rules that when we signed up was there would be no team draws. The only way you could have a draw was within the team itself. Or a global stalemate, I would imagine, would also constitute Oh, look, a... yes, if there was literally a global stalemate, you're, yeah. you're, you're probably right there. Um, so, immediately after that clarification, Milan surprisingly decided to go, oh, well, fuck this. <laughs> Roll right into my vacant supply centres. So, yeah, okay, so that, that has, has that caused conflict in other parts of the board, do you think, Andy? Um, We've got that patchwork quilt happening up in Scandinavia. Yeah, look, there is... Um, I, I think... Some of the, um, the more... Um, the players on the edges of the board, I think that they're starting to realise, or I hope they're starting to realise, I've been saying it to them, that, like, if... You know, these central powers just go num 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 and just eat me up and then come for the other players who I might be friendly with. Those central other players have just taken us over will be far stronger and be able to maybe take the fight to the peripheral players on the edge of the board. Yeah, okay? I see that, yep. So we're actively encouraging at the moment the peripheral players to start attacking those other players. So if you imagine like a donut, okay? Actually, maybe not a donut. Maybe like three concentric circles. Oh, the fucking um, fire engine. Wait a second, pause it. So sorry about that. We had two fire engines go past. Um, yeah, so if you imagine three concentric circles, I'm myself and my friendly ally... Naples are kind of in the middle of that concentric circle. Then there's another ring around that, which are the players like Milan, Switzerland, Bohemia, Lithuania, who are now kind of in coming into and taking over that inner circle. Yep. So what I need is the outer circle to come into the middle circle. And to, whilst they're all kind of trying to eat me up, Hopefully they'll then go, mum, 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 
heat their vacant supply centres, and then that middle centre area might start, you know, giving me a bit of breathing space. Yeah, so essentially players like the Golden Horde to come west. Um, yep. Scotland, Scotland to come, come south. south. Well, don't yeah. worry about Africa. Africa's a fucking mess. Africa's a basket case, but, but you yeah. know. Ordu, Genoa might come out. You know. Uh, you know, England into Milan and Switzerland, uh, Catalonia into, you know, Milan, all that type of stuff would be absolutely great. Yeah. Genoa's still hanging on. Mm. That's he is. You've played Genoa a few times. You surprised? Okay, you've played Genoa once. You surprised how well this guy's going? Um, I played it as a gunboat, so I couldn't really say, but... Alright. Yeah. Good you, on him. You've noticed the fire engine has kind of gone all the way down there, which is kind of like where we were about to go to the next bar. No, it's, a, it's another fire engine. Another fire engine? Yeah, it's a third. Well, it must be something fucking on fire. You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what might be, might be, way, might be, might be my pathetic diplomacy career. <laughs> drawing <laughs> correlation there. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. so look, not looking good in that particular game. Not looking good in that particular game. Um, tell you is what looking good. The thought of moving to the next bar. Oh, well, it's after it's after five. So we can always just have a bit of a walk around and see what's open and what's not. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, shall we drink up and move on? Sorted. Sweet. Cheers. See you on the other side, folks. Oh, shit, started. Let's and we're back. Into it. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Radio. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so we've moved location. We're at now at O'Sculligan's on the dark side. Um, which is, we're still in Fortitude Valley, but... See, I kind of expected this to be an Irish bar. You what? call it O'Sculligan's. The theming is very black, like a Guinness. The font style used to write O'Sculligan's looks like the Guinness font style. And yet, they don't have any Irish beer on tap. I think it's more like a live music bar. I think it is more a live music venue, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all very cool. I'm always here just for the live music. So. Yeah, so we might be here for a little while and then we may move on. Um, so, what do you got to drink? I'm drinking their house lager. Yeah? The old Sculligan's lager. How is it? It's not a bad draw. Right. Well, I have no fucking idea what I've got because they said, we don't have any, we don't have any wine here. And I really didn't feel like another beer. And then I pointed out, we got wine glasses. They said, oh yeah, we, we do have some wine out the back. So he's brought it out. It's like, it's a, it's a Barossa Shiraz. Yeah, that's good. I have no idea what type of Barossa Shiraz it is. But anyway. Still, what's it like though? It's amazing. It's, it's good, you know. Good. Yeah. It's, it's good. That's amazing. So, um... I don't know if you want to talk about any more games or whatever. Or well, I'm not on really in any more games, but I know you are. You're in a, one of the new variants that are coming. Yeah, along. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a really interesting, um, really interesting. So there hasn't been any variants put out on VDIP for a long while. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is going to be coming out, you know, maybe it will, I don't know. And part of this has got a lot to do with the fact that Ollie, who's the site administrator, is literally... The only guy that can kind of 
put up there in Mecca Lion. Well, he's AWOL at the moment. Yeah, he's AWOL at the moment. You know, he's, he's okay, we assume, but, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Long story short, there were a number of variants that were already created and already uploaded, but are still going through a testing phase. Yeah, right. And once you've kind of created the shell of a variant, you know, it's going to be, uh, I don't know, a 10-player variant about whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can theoretically do with that what you want without having to go back to all of it. Oh, right, yeah, because you own your variant on the site. You just yeah, so provided you've actually got access to that, you can do all that shit, okay? So that would be like a site... Like a, a site administrator like myself or Toby could potentially go in and... Well, yeah, but I think also the developers who've got access to that developer area. Yeah, but they'd be up... Yeah. So you can go in, you can Some edit your PHP own Some of the PHP files, if they were uploading new PHP files, that would have to be approved by someone who's got yeah, administrator rights. Well, I don't know how to look yeah. anyway. anyway. So you can't kind of fuck around with the, you know, a lot of the rules-based stuff. But you can drop it in a different map, so... You can drop in a different... You, provided you use normal normal rules within a diplomacy game... Oh, yeah. Yep. Then generally... And, and you're not... I mean, when I say normal rules... Things that are still within the normal code, like maybe you could introduce a build anywhere, because that's a simple coding thing that's already within an existing file. It's a snippet that you can just drop in. That's yeah. right. So that's easy to do. But you couldn't, like, you know, do what we've done before, which is, like, make a pop of war or a hurricane or do anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Understood. So, um, Fake Owl has been developing for a long, long time a number of different variants, which he got into... To, you know, V Diplomacy, um, not really kind of publicly available within like the listing of the of the, of the variants, yes. but they're there. And he's been working away, working away, working away, and he's done his, um, he's up to a test now for what's called Blonde, not Blonde, Bronze Age Diplomacy. Bronze Age Diplomacy version 3. Yes, so I'm in a game called Message in Arcadian Only. Uh, where I am playing is Assyria. The thing I like about this is, as we said, it's just following normal, standard diplomacy type of rules, but the map is, like, really, really interesting. Yeah, so, so. We'll have to create show notes and everything like that. Have you, you've done, have you had a chance to have a look at it? I did have a quick squeeze. So it's a... So set... Um, Pretty much, I don't know, how would you say, Eastern Mediterranean. So Syria, Lebanon, yeah, you know, I, that coastline of the Eastern Mediterranean is pretty yeah. much in the north-south axis of the middle of the map. Yeah, Eastern Mediterranean and, and like the uh, Fertile Crescent. Yeah, so it goes east up until sort of Greece. Yep. And west into what would be Persia. Sorry, I went. I said that back to front. West into what would be Greece. Oh, yeah. And east into, yeah, Persia. The, the, the capture of the Fertile Crescent. Well, Fertile Crescent's actually in Babylonia. A little bit beyond that is the uh, Elam, which Persia. is uh, the Persian yeah. player. So there's like a Persian player, a Babylonian player, an Assyrian player, an Egyptian player, a Greek player. There are the Hittites. And then there's two other players that I'm not familiar with when it comes to my um, Bronze Age geography, which is... Um, Azawara, Azawara, which is like um, central Anatolia, and um, Mitanni, which is like that um, 
southeastern Anatolia. So if you imagine like modern day Turkey, it's like in that southeast corner is Mitanni, the middle is like the uh, Azawana. Oh no, fuck, the middle is um, Hittites, and on the um, east coast is um, Azawani. Anyway, oh, and the Phoenicians are in it, of course. Floating around, doing their all sorts of stuff, you know, out of Tyre and, and um, Cyprus and Crete type of area. Anyway, so the thing I found really, really interesting about this particular variant, because I'm playing it as part of a test game, was A, I accidentally started playing it, not realising it was a test game. Oh, okay. I went, oh, this is, must be a map that was created ages ago that I just had never even gone to before. And then I found out that it is a map in development, test, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, I actually do like the aesthetics of this one. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Atlantic colonies where you've got an older map style. The oceans aren't blue, they're like a, um, a beige. And then you've got all these little icons and little graphs and, you know, Photography? Yeah, I have to say, I'm not a fan of the colour of the ocean. Oh, aren't you? Because it's the same colour as the background imagery, the iconography. No, it's not. There's a very different shade. Oh, it's so slight. I, I mean... Well, maybe you've got some, some, you know, maybe you need some pair of glasses or something. Maybe colour them. But I'm only... I'm only I'm only saying that because I'm just so used to seeing blue, blue. but then no, 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 I mean, Atlantic Colonies doesn't have, um, it's got a browning. It's got a brown too. ocean? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. so look, Kana, we beg to differ on this. You hate it, I love it. Um, well, I don't hate it, I feel like a fan of it. But the thing I find really interesting, and this actually comes back to that uh, discussion we were having just before around the concentric circles in the Europa Renovatio game with the way that's planning out. Yeah. Is this has got this dense set of supply centres in the middle of the board and also um, the shapes of the non-supply centre territories are quite you know, really, really tight which is kind of where I am around that Assyria area. But then the edges of the board are like this massive, they lap this massive movement so as Persia, oh fuck, the wrong button. You know, you start off down on the Persian Gulf pretty much. And with a couple of steps, you're up in the Caucasus. Is it built anywhere? It is built anywhere. Okay. So, um, you know, if you were Persia and you've taken the Caucasus, provided you can move out of there, you can build a fleet and start going into the Black Sea, which is like a whole um, territory in itself that allows you to raid the Hittites the, the Greeks and everybody else. Is it the Caucasus or the Caucasus? It's not like Arkansas or Arkansas. <laughs> it's the Caucasus. This is Caucasus. I would call it Caucasus. 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 Anyway. And, uh, and likewise, you've got in the south this massive, much the same way you've got the. Um, Black Sea area, which is called the Zephai, which allows for a really quick movement around the edge of the board in the north. You have a Arabian desert in the south, which allows for quick movement, you know, along the Babylonian area through to, you know, uh, Egypt. But it hasn't been used yet. 
No, that's only hasn't been used because Egypt and Babylonia agreed to DMZ it. And I know this because Babylonia was my friend and then I stabbed him. And he told me. Oh, why did you go and stab him? That's a great question and he wanted to know as well, which is Ubicacia. Yeah. And I said, look, really didn't want to. However, I... Two things. One, I was already friends with him in the south. I was friends with Elon in the east. Yep. And I was friends with um, Mitani in the north. So I had nowhere to go. So either I do the little patient thing and not attack anybody and just wait them to fucking attack each other. But that's not something you're working on at the moment, is it? No, I'll need to get better at that. <laughs> but also, I did it in such a way that the spring moves I'd organised with Mitani to bounce in uh, one territory and I organised with Elam to bounce in another territory so it looked like I was attacking Elam and I then reorientated my units in the south so that I could um, make a move on Babylonia if I wanted to but it also looked like I was making a move on Mitanni and of course Babylonia then actually followed through with what he told me and that was move all of his units to to his eastern flank to attack Persia or Elam. Yep. And, um, of course, left him open for he a crime. He opened him stab. open to stab, so I stabbed. Yeah. I, I did my cow hammer like you told me to, Kane. Summon the inner cow hammer. You're yep. actually in a pretty commanding position there against Babylonia. Yep. So there's, um, I've done it in such a way I've. One I build. Yeah, no, you definitely take a supply centre off him this season. What season is it in? Autumn? Yeah, I think we might be going to autumn. No, you're going into spring. Oh, okay, yeah, we're going yeah. to spring. We just have retreats. Yeah, so there'll be builds after this. Anyway. So it's a lovely map. It's a great work to fake Alan. He's been working on this stuff for ages. You might remember he had his... Um, was it Tiglath Policia or whatever oh, like yeah. that? Yeah. Same dude, you know what I mean? He's been playing around these different options to try to work out how it all goes and what would work best. So, so um, it's a difficult region really to make interesting. What do you mean by make interesting? Well, make interesting. I mean, there's not a lot of coastline, but there's an awful lot of history. So how do you find that balance between powers and territories and movement between... Yeah, it looks like he might have sort of done it. I think he has too. And um, I mentioned to uh, Elan what he thought of it, and he kind of thought, yeah, that ability to move around rapidly was really great for him. So it's like this interesting dynamic where some players, due to their, their positioning on the board, can move quite far whilst others are stuck in the middle. So it's a different um, different dynamic. Yeah. Anyway... Um, the one thing I'll say I don't like about this variant, which I can't do anything about, and we're not going to be able to change, because it's the nature of it, is when you're talking about other players, often you don't know who the fuck you're talking about. Uh. So, like, what I would consider to be Persia is called Elam, okay? Which may have been maybe the dynasty of the Persians at the time, I'm not sure. But the Egyptians aren't called... I don't think they're called Egyptians. They're called something else. No, the Egyptians are Egyptians. Oh, fuck, okay, whatever. Um, but the Greeks are the Achaean. Yeah, the Greeks are the Achaeans. That's right. 
and when you don't know who Matani is and everything, and when you start talking about territories and supply centres, that you've got no idea where the fuck these things are, and you think, someone says, oh, I want you to, I'm going to move from to this, to this place, and you're going, where the hell is that? First off, you have to work out where the player is, then you've got to work out where the, the unit is, where the territory is. I have the exact same experience whenever I'm playing that American map. That's because you're shit at geography and American geography. Shit at American geography. I imagine anyone who's really sort of interested in this kind of period of history will get an absolute buzz out of playing this area. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did ask um, Fake Al for a little bit of info around where things were at and, you know, how he got to this point of time. So will you kind of give me the liberty to try to read some of the stuff he said? Yeah, go. Yeah, it's got to bring it up first. Cool, so, um, actually I do find this part quite loud. <laughs> you want to move to the next one? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll finish up here with what we're talking about and then we'll move to another bar. You do the Patreon, is it? No, we've got something else you want we've to do. We've got something else we've got to do. We'll, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get it. Anyway, so, um, Fakal said, look, this is a, 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 obviously a, a variant he's still developing. Um, and I was asking him about how does he actually continue to develop a, develop a, a variant when Ollie's not about? Yeah. And um, basically, this is where we're saying before everyone who has a variant on the site already that Ollie hasn't released yet still has full access to the dev tools. Okay, yeah. Okay? So they can make changes as long as it doesn't actually mess up completed games. So previous games that have existed that they've done testing in, okay? Yeah, okay. So, um, so does that mean he can, he, that you have to cancel the game before game finish if he's wanting to come back and do changes? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but that actually must make sense. So, um, as a result of this, Fakal said he can't change the number of players, or else that would cause errors in the game, and Ollie isn't dead in the elite old games. Yep. So this is um, where it might get a little bit confusing, he says. Before Ollie was uh, absent, he actually had two variants in development on V-Diplomacy. Tiglath Pilisar, which is a nine-player variant, yep. which we've talked about before in the podcast. Yep. And he had a seven, sorry, as a Bronze Age seven-player variant. So um, after Ollie was a little bit unavailable, um, Fake Hal totally overhauled the Tiglath Pelissar variant to turn it into a twelve-player version. Uh huh. So because it's twelve players, he can't implement it at the moment. Right. Okay. So he's he's worked out what needs to happen, but he can't put make it live. So, um, he decided to add, oh yeah, so basically, he's still got a map there for a nine-player version, which yep. was meant to be Tiglath Pilisar, and a seven-player version, which was meant to be Bronze Age, but he's since worked out with playtesting that Bronze Age works better as a nine-player variant. Right. So he's kind of kept all the code base, but changed the map Changed the actual names of all the units within it and everything like that and the oh, locations. Geez. Yeah, that takes dedication. So he upgraded a, a yeah. seven player to the nine player one. He's parked the 12 player one. Okay. And, um, and as a result of that, he now has a shell of a seven player game, which was meant to be Bronze Age, but obviously won't be Bronze Age. Yep. And it's available to create a variant on, provided we make a seven-player variant. Huh. Right. Yeah. 
so he asked me, look, have I got a seven-player variant ready to go? And I, I do, but it's the um, like the classic standing neutrals, which is not really that exciting apart from, you know, hey, if you love your, your classic games and you go, what would it be like if I just couldn't march into Belgium straight away and I must get France or England to help me in? It still could be quite interesting. You know what I was looking at the other day, just playing around with it, Andy? I was playing around with the sea level change, the sea level change tool. <laughs> yes, keep and going. I was looking at Brisbane and the surrounds. Yep. To see how high I would have to make the water level rise, so that until it you, would, so, until until you flooded a, me, but you were still okay. No, no, until I had a um, a beach in my backyard. Okay. It turned out to be something like. 70 metres or something. Right. But at that stage, it creates some really interesting archipelagos and islands in in and around the suburbs of Brisbane. Um, I was just sort of thinking, you know, this would be a really interesting base map to set something up on. That's what I was just fucking around the other day. It's funny that you say that because when he said this to me, I thought... That's really cool. I wonder. I actually thought I went through and looked at all my my um, um, variants that I'd previously wrote about that I would like to set. Okay, and okay, I yeah. could I could retrofit Ice Age. Yes, you did have an Ice Age one. You had a global warming one. Well, yes, but Ice Age I reckon works better as a ten player variant because otherwise it's hard to get the balance right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I had a bit of a look around. Fuck what's that? Had a bit of a look around and I did actually find and maybe you saw maybe you did the same thing for Brisbane. Oh, I was like, how do I make this fucking smaller? Ah. Zoom out, zoom out. So this is like a global map where you have the ice caps melting and the the water levels basically inundate up to about 200 metres. And you get this amazing archipelago in the middle of the Amazon basin. The, um, is it the Rio de Plata all the way through there? That's really breaks up South America quite interestingly. You end up with this big, long, elongated peninsula, don't you, down the end? Yep. Yeah. So, oh fuck, I don't know what you did there. Nice work. Um, the North American coastline, you get a fair amount of flooding around the, um, the southeast corner and around um, the uh, Hudson Bay. A little bit around Alaska, but not too much. It's interesting, but yeah. when you go to Europe, UK as a, as a political entity doesn't really exist much apart from the Highlands of Scotland. You've got this Scandinavia element. Fuck, what happened here? You got the Scandinavia element. Yeah. Which is sitting as this massive island in its own, and then the whole of the Baltic floods. You know the um, it's it's an iPhone camera. It doesn't work very well. Yeah. Just give up, mate. Give up. The whole of the uh, the Baltic floods northern Europe totally. So Poland, half of Germany, all the low countries, half of France. 
and that's really interesting because you get this massive archipelago going into this space. What space is that? Russia. Look at Russia. It just disappears. You've got like a couple of islands. You've got the Ural Mountains and then nothing until you hit Siberia. You get major flooding around the main populous areas of China. Around the Ganges and all that shit. The Arabian Peninsula. Unfortunately, Africa doesn't kind of flood very much. And um, most of Southeast Asia floods and Australia basically gets cut almost into two. Africa could be quite interesting, actually. I mean, you look at look at that split. Like a lot of the Sahara Desert becomes. What? what West how many? How much, how much flooding do you put in there? That must be more than me. Oh, it blows me. This is just the. Is that the the default negative four hundred? Yeah, four hundred square meters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the thought being. And this is what I want to put to you. Do we look at doing like a global warming, you know, flooded earth type of variant? Or, so a seven player version of that. Or, do we do Squirrel Wars? Oh, and, how, and did you see Squirrel Wars as being a equal number of players? Or? I see Squirrel Wars as being aspirational. You don't think it's there yet? That's not nowhere near there. So you reckon the, the flooded earth might be better? I don't think it needs to be in earth. I think it could be quite interesting doing it in a city. Well, it's the like thing is... suburb by suburb. You're in a suburb? Fuck. Well, no one's going to give a shit about a flooded Brisbane. Maybe a flooded Melbourne, I don't know. What about a flooded planet? Seven players, you're not doing it justice. But, but when you think about how things flood, you might just have like a you know, European Union power and a, you know, a North American power. You don't think so? Or maybe just flooded Europe, like a classic map that's flooded. You'd have to do a real, like, okay, if you're going to flood it, you'd have to do an analysis, like you have to do a bit of alternative future thinking. Yeah. Really. What are the what are the nationalities that are left, right? What and are, the supply centres? Because yeah, you know, but also what are the effects of the migration of the populations away from the flooded areas going to be? Oh, right. So you're actually going to have to very forward thinking think on this. Like, is there seven players doing that justice? You're actually making a scenario in your mind. So the fact that maybe. No one lives in the. Um, okay. So, if you, if, you, if you flooded Australia, the largest town would be Canberra, city of Canberra. Okay, it, within that area, that's not going to be it's above sea level. Yeah. So you're saying that Canberra then would become a metropolis instead of having like about I don't know three hundred thousand people, maybe two hundred thousand people. It's now got twenty million people, and Toowoomba becomes all of a sudden with five million people. So you start moving the centres in the middle. Or is it more... I mean, it it would depend on the reaction of the human population too. Would people sort of gradually... It depends how fast the whole flooding would be too. 
yeah. it was a gradual thing with populations gradually move away from the coastlines and the rivers, building up the embankments essentially. Is it, it's, or is it sort of like a single shot kind of traumatic event that you're talking about which causes mass groups of population to migrate? In which case you would end up with a 5 million population to Wumba. Or would you... Yeah, anyway, just things to think about. So we may need to think a little bit more on this one. Or maybe maybe you can just kind of email us. You know, go to the Lovers yeah. Games website, send us an email there. Or, you know, go to a Twitter account, send us something there. So Fake Girl's keen to work with you on this, is he? Well, I'll need to work with him a little bit because he's got access to the dev tools. I, I will, getting back to Fake Hal, I will say this because he, he does give credit where credit's due and I want to acknowledge that as part of his messaging. So, yep. um, a bit of background about Fake Hal. I don't know, Fake Hal I always imagined was like Weird Al Yankovic, you know, a bit of an older guy. See what, look, we finished our drink. Do you want to do it in a quieter spot? Oh, yeah, great idea, great idea. Let's do that. Um, so it's not doing that stop at two. No, I don't know why it's not doing that. So look, either what we just record settings. Either just yeah, maybe that's why. So either this is actually going to be interesting when I try to edit all this shit together. I've got a really it's... interesting feedback and discussion from Fake Al, or we're just going straight into this conversation and, and he's going to bad luck about why. Fake Al. Sorry. So. Um, the recorder normally has a red light when it's recording. But we just recorded about 12 minutes where there was no red light, but the counter was still going up. So it looked like it was partly recording, but we don't know. You might have been taping over a previous... Oh, fuck, I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. Shit. <laughs> okay, so, if this podcast makes no sense whatsoever... It's because we're drunk and, you know... Yes. But as we said before, and as we taped over it, we love this place, said Grisa. Don't. So anyway, some great stuff there. Um, Media Wars. Yeah, I can't do it. You can't do it? I can't do it. Is it because it's communication involved and you... I'm taking a break from communication. I told you. Um, yep. So um, only at this stage. So I have checked with the, the powers of B. So Captain Mean, I think, is um, has a key role in helping organise this this time round. I can't remember who organised it last time round. Wasn't it? Um, Wasn't it? Huh? It was Captain. No, no, no. It was from the diplomacy briefing. David Hood. No, he's from DBN. Oh. Um. I was involved. You were involved. Yeah, no, no, no. Anyway, so, so far... Actually, can I just jump in here and say, when we first started recording our podcast, there was one other podcast out there, and that was the only media creation that was happening we could find on the internet. Yeah. Full stop. And I just absolutely love how the community has listen to our piss poor attempt at talking diplomacy. And done going, so much better except Oh my god, you know, these two bankers from Australia, we've got to be able to do this better. <laughs> well, yeah, not only are they A, sober, B, they know more than us, and C, 
you know, they're using other more interactive media than just like an audio. <laughs> like they have video, fucking hell, you know, crazy. Um, so yeah, good on you, all those media creators of diplomacy. Bravo. We've, we've, uh, you've all made the diplomacy community far better and we just keep trying to bring it down. <laughs> we just keep doing our thing. <laughs> People keep fucking downloading it, I don't know why. I guess when you're, in, I guess when you're driving in your car or whatever like that, you can't watch a YouTube video about diplomacy, but you can just play it through your. Yeah, there we go. We've got our niche. Yeah. So, so far, there's okay. Long story short, there's another media wars game on against other players, right? Who produce media in this space? So, um, uh, Captain Neem or you know, Marcus Arista kind of reached out to us, and um, he wants to know if you wanted to play because I played first time. I was the first player that got eliminated because I'm shit. And I did think it was a lot of a, a great opportunity to represent the podcast better because you are playing a lot better than me at the moment. Gunboat. Gunboat. You're right, gunboat. you're right, gunboat. So um, it kind of defeats the purpose, I think, of a, a media. Like when you're talking about content, you want to have a storyline beyond just... I moved here, they moved there. This is the way I interpreted someone else's moves. So, um, so you're out? Yep, I'm out. Okay. So at the moment, likely players is uh, Ezio from Diplo Strats, which is the... Ezio, uh, yep. Yep. Florida man. Oh, yeah. Cool. Now you're interested? <laughs> Keep going. Oliver Lug, who we've interviewed on the show with his Game of Knife video. Yes. Go Horns Go from the Diplomats is back again. Yep. Flash from Legendary Tactics. So I think that might be another one of the Legendary Tactics guys. Yes, yes. And maybe, maybe, maybe Brother Board. Ooh. If not Brother Board, then uh, potentially someone else from DBM. Wow. So they had Zach last time, so I don't know if they're going to go, you know, for David Wood or... Ryan Tavrell or who knows oh look it's tempting but no I can't I've said I'm taking a break from communication I'm taking a break that's okay that's okay we all understand you're generally an antisocial person you're very introverted <laughs> oh, oh I'll come back to it in my own time I promise it's okay I'm, I'm taking the piss Kana I totally respect your decision just, I don't want to hear you bitching and complaining when I let the team, the Diplomacy Games podcast team down again. But <laughs> well, I'm again the first person eliminated. I just don't try and sell the Silesia opening. <laughs> Wouldn't it be horrible if I got fucking Germany? Wouldn't it? <laughs> or if you got Russia and they did the Silesian opening against you. Oh, yes. Mate, if you were, if you were a media creator, that is a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> So uh, I guess uh, I'll wave the flag on that one. No problemos at all. Um, I'm just trying to remember if there's anything else we need to talk about. We've got some ideas. Oh, that's how I won a game. No, you didn't. Tell I me won a game. You won a game. I won a game. Oh, oh, was it ranked? Yes, it was ranked. Even better. <laughs> what did you win? I, I won a game of 1066. Bravo. That's one of your little babies. One of my little variants I've pumped out over the years. Yeah, and um, following, that, that variant crops up fairly regularly. 
It's a simple three-player game. It's the only um, online game that has Fog of War except the classic map. There's a couple others. I don't think there is. Rat Wars. Oh! Well, you know. But the, the, the creator of Rat Wars doesn't kind of bring up Rat Wars enough. <laughs> um, what else is... What else is... Um, fog. I'm sure there's another Fog. I don't think there is. Anyway. Free player. Fog of War. 1066. Great guy. Does um, William the Bastard succeed? Who won? Uh, no, the uh, Norwegians run again. Harold. 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 Harold uh, Hadrati. Hadrata or whatever his name yeah. is, yes. Great game, had a lot of fun. Um, I sent lots of love towards England. Yep. England obviously got involved in a fight with the Normans. Yep. And then I just stabbed the fuck out of the England. <laughs> yes. Um, but the funny part was, I wasn't planning on stabbing the English. I really wanted to go into this. My, my goal for the game... So within this game, you've got to get, obviously, a majority of supply centres. Yep. Oh, and you need the capital. You need to you, keep yep. your capital and own someone else's capital. Yeah. Which, for um, uh, England, is Winchester, because um, William the Conqueror hadn't moved it yet to London. And uh, the Cayenne? I don't know how to pronounce the French. In Can. Normandy. Cayenne? Cayenne. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, so in, in Oslo for Norway, right? Yes, whatever. Yeah. So, and also, yeah, also I wish. Can't actually fucking remember. But anyway, <laughs> you're right. Anyway, so I tried to actually come, I did this wild western flanking manoeuvre. I managed to, like, take out Scotland early on, take Ireland next. Oh, you sailed around. And I was you sailing around, around the, into no, the yeah. mid Atlantic. To then start attacking France. Yeah. And this was like about, I don't know, okay, it's, it's based on 1066 of the year, but I'll make it easy for people with classic. Let's pretend it's now 1903, 904, and I get to this far extremity yep. of the board, yep. and there's still a standing neutral army in Brittany. France hasn't managed to take it yet. And I see that the English, because I've come down through Denmark also, pincer movement, the English were in Flanders. So pretty much England only had its original three supply centres, unless it was involved in the fisticuffs around the coastline of England. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I thought, bugger this, I'm going to go and attack England, because clearly England's all down in the south. Yep. Why, why put off a, you know, a quick, off easy a win? Step. Yep. Got it. Well done. But, you know, just to kind of make it up, in the Imperial game, I've been like... Finally. It's finally, finally ended when someone at last decided to go... Let's, let's actually like stop this, because I was um, Indonesia. I was physically in the island of Borneo. And you're with between, two supply yeah. centres. And like... Japan's attacking me from the northeast, and Britain's attacking me from the southwest. And they keep bouncing, 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 bouncing. And it just kept going on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and everyone had put in draw orders, except I think England who was winning. And eventually England just decided, ah, fuck it, just let both Japan have it. So Japan took it, took my two supply centres, and then they drew the game. Oh, what asshole. Anyway. <laughs> 
So as a result of that, Dr. Recommender got extra bonus points and now he's above me in the rankings. <laughs> Bravo, Doctor. That's something we haven't done for a while, what the Doctor recommended. What the Doctor recommended, yeah. Do you want to have a go now? It's been yeah. a while. Let's, let's do it and wrap it up after that. Awesome. So um, for those of us uh, who are new listeners to the show, uh, what the Doctor recommended is... what? How would you describe it? It's kind of like the... The top 100, although we probably won't do the, the top 100. Yeah, the countdown of the top players of a, um, of a web diplomacy side. No, V-diplomacy. V-diplomacy. And, of course, because we're um, uncouth Australians, we usually mispronounce everyone's name. And everyone finds it hilarious. That's right. So, what do you want to do? Top 25? Uh, let's do the top 25. Okay. Hang on, just let me pull it up. Right. Just run off mine, right? Uh, let's go... 25 up. Where are you going to? 25. Oh, no, no, but we're going to go for one down. No, we're, oh, okay, whatever. No, no. Number, okay, no, I'm going to go the other way around. Fuck you. No, Number one. No, 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 oh. no. We're staying for 25 and going upwards. Oh, okay, sure. Are you on the list? Probably. No. Probably okay. Not. Number 25. Sendrick. 24 is Poolside. 23, Tassa. Um, 22 is Ingibot. 21 Mapu. Don't you always say Ingibot? I do. I do say Ingibot. Uh, Mapu. Mapu? Mapa. Mapu. Yeah, I say Mapu. Number 20 is. Um, I want to say Eric. Eric P. 107. Eric Kip. Could be that. Uh, 19. Barbecue Sauce. 1, 2, 3, 3, 2, 1. Uh, number 18 is Eki 83. Holt. 17. Um, number 16 is Jacob L582. 15 is Mercy. Mercy's still there. Fuck, he's been hanging around for ages. Yes. Haven't played him for years. 14, The Desert Fox. Uh, 13, Player 5. 12 is The Last Chris. I haven't seen him before. No, he's a bit of a newbie. Oh. No, a bit of a I'm not saying newbie. He's obviously doing better than you and I. Uh, 11 is Retilian. Haven't played Retilian for a while. Um, number 10, Steampunk Shogun. Nine is Bozo. I haven't seen Bozo for Yonks. Oh, and don't forget, to be in this list, you had to have turned up in the last six months. Yeah, so these people are around. We just haven't played them. Number eight is Battalion. Battalion? Well, it could be Battalion, but it's got spelt incorrectly. Uh, seven is G-Man. Six is Zero Zero Matthew 2000. Five is Rough House. Eight. Number four is Drano 19. Well, you like say Drano, but he has Drano. actually said it's pronounced Drano. 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 Okay. Number three is Cypeg. Number two is Sly Pups. And coming in at number one is Agnar. Very good. So congratulations to all those players who are clearly far better than Cater and I. Talking about players of the past, have you seen that Butterhead is back on V-Diplomacy after, <laughs> like, years and years and years, he, would. he just popped back up? We knew he would. Hey, hello, Butterhead. How you going, mate? Yeah, wow. I want, yeah, okay. There's a player I'll play a full press game. You'll play... Well, there's one that's actually literally right now. Gopher is trying to set up a classic game. Yeah. Butterhead's in it. He invited me to it. And I said... Because I thought it was meant to be like that whole uh, winning thread thing where you got to win in the winning thread to kind of give you a bonus. He said, no, 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 it's just a normal game. So if you're interested in that, Butterhead's already in that one. Wow. Do you want me to send you the link? Yeah, send me the link. Cool, 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 cool. Awesome. So, um, 
Paul might do a bit of a wrap. Get yeah. onto our Patreon um, show. So thanks again, uh, everyone, for joining us. And I'm hopefully, Amy. I'm Amby, and hopefully we haven't missed out too much of the show. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't too Dr. Derby. <laughs> See you guys. See ya.